0: Welcome to Reconvene 2022, presented by our partner, Appfolio Investment Management, an all-in-one solution empowering general partners to streamline real estate investment management. I'm Moses Kagan. The following conversation is Bill Andrews of Equity Resource Investments, interviewed by Elliot Benkuya of Calcedon Investments. Um, Bill, why don't you tell everybody who you are, why you're here? How's the family? Sure. So, um, so my name is Bill Andrews, as you guys know.
1: Um, I work with a group called Equity Resource Investments. Um, we kind of go by ERI. Um, we are, you know, somewhat traditional real estate private equity shop. Um, I think we have like about a billion dollars of AUM. We just raised a fund. It's like three hundred fifty million dollars. Um, we it's all real estate. Um, across asset classes, like kind of all asset classes, but we have, we have some specialties. Uh, we invest in real estate direct, we invest in real estate operators, um, we'll buy fractional interest. I mean, we kind of have a pretty broad mandate as to um, the type of real estate investing we do, but it's all, real, it's all real estate.
0: Got it, and you knew when you were nine years old that you wanted to be a real <laughs> estate investor, yeah? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I would say no. Um, when I was nine,
1: I can't remember what I wanted to be, but well, nothing exotic, or probably nothing, actually. I just wanted to be nine, um, but... So, um, then, so then, yeah, so then how did you yeah. end up here? So I, um, I'll kind of start by saying I have no, no background in finance, none. Um, I'm not even very good at math. Um, I was an English major in college.
0: <laughs> okay, you're in a room full of people who are terrible at math. <laughs> yeah, <that>. yeah,
1: so, <laughs> which actually is, I think, probably why I got into real estate, because it's like, you know, it's pretty basic. Um, but um, I got, I, went to, I went to college, was an English major, graduated, I was kind of like, well, this is useless, I don't know what to do with this. Um, I thought I wanted to be a journalist, I wanted to be a writer, um, and I was like, well, you know, I'll go to law school and try that out and see if that sort of gets, jump starts on anything. Went to law school, I would say by the end of December, I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer, but at that point I already paid for one year, so I was, figured I would sort of see it through. Um, but at some point in in law school, I kind of developed an interest in real estate. And I think it was really, it wasn't even sort of like an investing interest. It was more like, a, you know, I, I just moved to Boston. It was like beautiful. There was like old buildings. I think I had like an, a, like an aesthetic sort of appreciation for real estate, which made me think I wanted to sort of be involved in real estate. Um, so I started taking like, like any law class that was real estate focused, I would take that. Um, I did some sort of like cross classes with like the business program to sort of just get exposure and then graduated law school um, had no job no prospects you know it's like hard it seems odd but like when you graduate from law school if you want to not be a lawyer people don't want to hire you did
0: you ever practice
1: never not for a second not for a second because they because what they assume is like you couldn't get a job as a lawyer and you're trying to pay your bills for a couple months you're just gonna quit so so I had a friend of mine from college, this like is how things happen sometimes, he was going to school to be a teacher and he had a part-time job answering phones at this little company in Cambridge, Mass. And they wanted to hire an analyst because two of the old partners had retired. And my friend's name was Scott and they told Scott to make some flyers, post them around Harvard. Their expectations were high at the time. And um, he basically made the flyers, threw them in the trash can, gave me a call. And said, hey, you should come on over here and, and see if these guys will hire you. And that's kind of like, that was it. Um, and that was
0: ERI and got it. So you went directly from law school yeah. with no job to being an analyst at a small real estate company. Correct. Yeah. Great. Well, it's, now, very, it's very standard.
1: Yeah, so it, it was pretty atypical. I'll tell you, my my, my starting salary was, I think, $45,000 a year, which, um, considering my law school loans probably were running me about 1000 bucks a month, it was... It was lean, but you know, I gave it a try, and and it was and it was it, it was a different kind of company because, you know, it, it they were very nichey. You know, they, they at that, those times what we really invested in were sort of just fractionals, like old, old partnerships and occasions. We would buy fractionals. So there was a. When you say fractional, you're talking about buying secondary interest. Buying in secondary in deals, interest, uh-huh. LP, all, all LP interest. So, um, while that while there was a math component, so I had to do I had to like run the NOIs the math of those, those, it was very back of the envelope because you're, you're really buying them for like, you know, a pretty big discount of value. You can miss pretty widely. And it was a very sort of contractual thing. So actually my, my law degree came in handy then, kind of to understand, well this is how the partnership agreement works, this is what their rights are, this is what the transfer provisions are. Um, and you know, it, it carries on today with when I'm, when I'm doing deals with sponsors, um, Having a pretty good sense for how everything works legally, contractually, is is an advantage that I have over some of my colleagues who are maybe better at math than me, but they don't just they don't, they don't have as like, broad a uh, you know
0: palette. Got it, okay, so, okay. So, so you were at ERA very early, you were doing you know, these secondary interest, fractional acquisitions, et cetera. It's, it's not, it's, it's fairly dissimilar to what you guys are focused on and doing right now. So talk me through that evolution from what you guys were doing then to where you are now and kind of you know, what you guys are focused on today. So, um, So the, the company's been around
1: since 81. So again, so starting with, there was a real focus on these fractional interests for a long time. Um, and then, I mentioned this, but two of the older partners had retired, and then the one partner was was quite young, so he wanted to kind of continue it. So the 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 way the evolution kind of went basically was that at some point they realized, well, we've just been passive investors for all these years, but we are we have this rolodex of deals, this rolodex of relationships. You know, we can probably invest in these these deals differently than how we have. So so basically, the first step was. Wait,
0: were you saying rolodex of
1: GP sponsors. Okay. Yeah. So um, we'd be buying from LPs, but every time you're buying from an LP, you have to deal with a GP to do a transfer or whatever. Um, So we knew the GPs. We were always just viewed as sort of very passive LPs, but, you know, we. And what were the property types at at this point? So, um, like that, so that world, it's interesting, because maybe we'll get to it as far as like the current environment, what's going on, but um, so in the 70s, in the 1970s and early 80s, like almost all real estate was done through these tax loss partnerships, um, and they changed the tax laws in '86. Um, there was an SNL crisis that kind of came out of that. So basically, like by the by 1990, like the the U.S. was in a very very heavy duty like real estate recession. So those partnerships did everything. By the time I got to them it was really mo- almost all multifamily because all the other stuff had gone kaput so it was um, mostly multifamily a fair amount of like affordable housing that got built through these partnerships too so i would say like 80% multi and then the rest of it was there was like a lot of like you know sale leaseback stuff it was all tax structure stuff so it was like there were like there were like sale leaseback office buildings sale leaseback um, retail um, Big office parks, like it was just like a, it was a bit of a hodgepodge, but mostly mostly multi.
0: And you were identifying the the LP interests to acquire how? Just through like a tender offer process, you would just
1: make an offer to them, you know. Okay, all right, and so it was like tech, I mean, it's like more technical than that, but it was like there's there's a there's a way in which you 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 tender to limited partners and deals, and there's a whole set of rules and. But, yeah, we just, I mean, we kind of followed, like, the tender offer rules to, to, to make offers to limited partners.
0: Understood. Okay, so then you were you had all these relationships with GPs through the tender offer and LP yeah. acquisition process, et cetera, so keep going from there.
1: So, um, then sort of starting in, about the time I started, so in 2000, um, they started raising, like, somewhat larger funds to do, still do the old business, but then to strategically work with a sponsor and say, oh, you know, we're in these old partnerships with you guys, but are you doing any new things? Like, are you doing new acquisitions? Like, it would be nice to meet you guys and kind of work together. So we kind of, and those funds were larger, but not large.
0: They were probably, you know, they peaked out at probably 50 million bucks. Okay, and so, and you had those relationships from the LP interest that you had bought. Um, how did, you know, and, and so I guess your diligence on them was just seeing how they operated in the deals that you were already in. Is that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a different, it was different because partly we were already in these deals. And also, these were very seasoned sponsorship groups, so they've been around for fifteen, twenty years. So, you know, there was a diligence process, um, but again, we already had a familiarity with them, and it was it was fairly straightforward. And we'll kind of get to that, like like kind of our evolution as far as how we select sponsors. Um, but in those days, you know, we were probably still really sub institutional. So. Um, we had a criteria for selecting them, but also a lot of it was just relationship
0: relationship based and people that we knew. Got so it. Okay, so then you yeah. started. So then you moved on to towards just doing new originations with with folks.
1: Yeah. So um, <clears throat> when you know when the Great Recession kind of kicked in, um, like a lot of people, like we were sort of, you know, Raising- we're talking about the one from two thousand eight or the one from two thousand twenty two. Two thousand eight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get we'll get we'll get to twenty two by, by the end um, but um in 08, so we you know raising money was hard for everybody uh, for like a lot of reasons but we we were able to cobble together a fund i think we raised forty million bucks, which considering our last fund was fifty felt like like victory um, and we were starting to see well we'd already seen all the stress few things that had like, fallen apart and because we because we focused on we did a bunch of stuff, but we were so focused on the fractional stuff, we ended up being like pretty insulated from the, from the nastiest parts of the downturn. Um, and then we were seeing distressed opportunities, we were seeing like recap opportunities, and we just decided that um, you know when we raise funds, we try to raise funds based on our opportunity set, as opposed to saying like, we want to raise a fund of 500 million bucks because we can. It's like, that's not how we look at it. It's like, well, what are our opportunities? And we felt at that time, the opportunities were becoming pretty plentiful, so we decided to go up from what had been a forty million dollars fund to, one seventy five, and you know we went for it and we raised it. <laughs> I mean, how so. big? How big is the team at this point? It's about twenty five. There's probably like twenty five people total in the firm, and I'd say it's, you know, the simple way to look at it is probably it's like one third acquisitions, one third asset management, and then one third everything else. So compliance,
0: legal. Um, Capital raising, like like all of that, got it. Okay, um, all right. So now in the middle, so you know, post recession, you guys are scaling up, finding opportunities. Um, what's the what, what's the next step in terms of you know finding the GPS and focusing on them and and the process there? So um,
1: the way I, the way I've personally always gone about sourcing relationships, and that's kind of really was what, what my job is. You know, like our, our our operating partners, our sponsor partners, they source the the transactions, my, my real job is to source relationships. And, um, you know, it's a combination of just longevity. I've been doing this for a very long time. Um, and just really word of mouth. I mean, we, like, I will work selectively with a couple different investment bankers who I really trust, who know specifically what I'm looking for in a sponsor. But generally, I'm not getting involved in competitive bake-offs with other capital partners, if I can help it. I mean, sometimes it's, you just end up in the situation. So, you know, the, the, the you know, I, I, I personally, and ERI as a firm, we we built up our sponsor relationships the way you build up anything. It was really just one foot in front of the other. So um, I remember, you know, if, if you go back to fund, you know, sorry, so like 2000, as far as years, like 11, 12, 13, you know, we had just sort of like gone up up a level as far as our capital raises. And I remember, you know, and I was very focused on origination at that point. Um, so, you know, every year the calendar would flip, January 1st, I'd be like, oh, shit, like, like where where are my deals coming from this year? And, you know, over time, January 1st got easier because I had I just built a Rolodex of relationships. Um, I, I had sort of developed some specific strategies that, that, that I was really interested in. You know, we sort of had more rank name recognition, like, in certain asset classes. So, um, you know, the intros have gotten easier. The selection has, is in some ways harder. Um, but that's kind of how we built it up.
0: And so, well, why has the selection gotten harder and what is it, you know, specifically that you're looking for in, in, a, in a partner?
1: So I think the selection has gotten harder. Um, and it's funny, so if you go back to like 2012, I remember being in a meeting and making a comment of well, I can't tell who the good sponsors are and who the bad sponsors are, because they've all, they've all had problems. So it's like, it's, it, like, like figuring out like wh- whose, whose problems were just the market is the market and things went south and, and whose problems were like, they're just like not good sponsors. It was hard to figure. Um, the last t- t- two years has been the opposite. Like it's been the money's been pretty easy to make. So it's hard to tell like who's making money because they're really good at what they do. Who's making money because they just took a shitload of risk and it worked out for them? It's like it's 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 hard to to figure and kind of going into whatever we're going to go into over the next like two years. Um, you know, like if if a sponsor who you've done well with really turns out to be like just like a front runner, you know, then and they're just kind of riding the market, well. Now is the time when you're probably going to think like, you're, you're, now you have to kind of figure out, okay, well, what do we do? So,
0: um, so what are the criteria that you're looking for? Or so, are you just, is it a personality thing? Are you just going out to them and, you know, we're with them for lunch, dinner, or yeah. how they act in certain situations? I mean, how do you, how, how are you making those judgment calls in the first place?
1: So, um, like, the first thing I would say is, like, it's response selection. Like, like, first and foremost is just honesty, integrity, you know? We understand like, like like we all take risk. Like life's not perfect. Like I'd, like if when I meet a new sponsor, I really want them to be pretty upfront about like what's gone well for them, but also what's gone poorly for them. And I'll tell you like this this hasn't happened in a long time. But you know we do run credit checks, you know, and background checks on all of our sponsors. And I remember one deal, I was about to go to committee, and we had, usually we run our background checks after it's been approved, but, but we kind of reversed it this time. And because you know they do because you knew. Something, yeah, because something was a little, yeah. And, you know, and it turned out like, you know, it wasn't like the worst background check, but they had some like, you know, they had some deals that had gone south, which at that point in time, a lot of people did. And they were, they, 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 they were tax liens on properties. And so there was just some stuff in their background checks that were that was a little messy, but explainable, and not not even of a large magnitude. And we asked them before we ran the background check, like, Is there anything that are we going to see anything on this thing that we should be worried about? Like no, it's all good. So my takeaway was like, well, if they're going to just sort of brush over something as like explainable as that, then I don't really need to be their partner. And I literally canceled canceled the investment committee meeting. Told them, sorry,
0: um, you know, good luck. And how much experience are you looking for in your sponsors before you know? What's what's the earliest? Uh, at which point, you know, you're you're willing to invest in them Are you trying to find those that are in the middle uh, and the late stage has you know too much bargaining power for you to to get involved? I mean, so that's a sweet spot. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's a sweet spot. I mean part of it is um, Well part of it is
1: like structure, too so you know when we're and this and as far as like as far as like single asset acquisitions or real estate acquisitions um, I don't know if there's a sweet spot as far as as far as years of experience. Um, what I will say is that um, one thing I gravitates to- towards are sponsors who are really focused on their whole business. You know, s- some emerging sponsors are just you know two acquisitions guys, and it's like all they think about is like buy the next deal, buy the next deal, buy the next deal. And and to me, the the groups that are focused on well, acquisition is like you know one one. One leg of the stool, and like I have to make sure. You know, I'm actually managing these deals. They're property managed. Like like the the groups that think about their whole business, I, I find I've always had more
0: success investing with them. So I do look for that. Are you structuring these as programmatic upfront with these sponsors, or are you structuring these as we like to do repeat business, but we're going to do approve every deal on an individual basis?
1: So. Um, and do
0: you have control in in your? Yeah, so so
1: so we, we'll, we'll do programmatic investing, but for the most part, um, it's programmatic, but with our approval rights. So it's 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 like everything that we we're not going out and saying like here's fifty million bucks like have at it. But we'll, so we'll, what we can say is like you know we've set aside fifty million dollars to do deals with you guys, assuming they're deals that we want to do. So it's not it's not like having sort of they don't have like totally ready capital but they have more ready capital than they have to go shop it and they know the and they know the terms and so um but no we're not um now we've invested in like different types of like we, you know we had a large investment in a non-trader REIT at one time that we actually helped them grow out of the recession that that was sort of like their money to do what they wanted with but at the same time that was a much more structured investment we had we had um it wasn't just equity so we had other protections as far as our, our capital and our return, aside from
0: having control over deal selection. And, I mean, once you're in the deal, do you still have, you know, the major decision and control rights over everything? And Always, you know, yeah, yeah. Okay. yep. Um,
1: so, um, and this is sort of just part of being in the institutional world. And I say we're probably probably a little bit more flexible than the really big institutional shops, because those, those groups, like, really control the deals. You know, we typically, um, you know we have we have control rights over major decisions um, we we can remove the sponsor you know not for anything but for doing naughty stuff you know we can you know typically if they're, the, if, they're the, if they're
0: also the property manager, we have the ability to replace property management if they're not performing and besides integrity and you know trustworthiness, so I understand those are you know basically. Yeah you know whatever that's like step 1 what's step 2 step 3 i mean what does the diligence process on the sponsor actually look like thereafter
1: so then it's track record right so um you know we want to analyze their track record we want to see some of their existing deals we want to back check their track record to make sure it's accurate so it's really um track record of actual realizations um realizations are also um you know like non realized returns too i mean I prefer to have more realized track record when I'm looking, looking working with a sponsor. But at the same time, um, you know, we try to take sponsors as they are. So like I, I'm not, if I if I'm looking at two different sponsors, and I think one sponsor is like really talented and like really sharp, but they're they're a little bit green. I don't want to forego that to work with somebody who I view as being sort of like like pretty pedestrian just because they have like a longer history.
0: And are these, are these younger sponsors, those that have been working for, you know, you're focused on a lot of what, affordable housing? Yeah. Right? Affordable housing, market rate housing, industrial. Okay, um, yeah. So within those three, I mean, is it, is it sponsors who have come out of a larger, you know, operation and are starting themselves that may, you know, have a, a, a thin or limited track record at that point?
1: Yeah. So that, that's really, for the most part, what, um, as far as, like, new sponsors, they're typically people that we've known um, for a long time in a different capacity, and, and they're kind of going out on their own. Um, so, although not, like, we don't always, we, we don't always we, it's not that we've always known them for like, a long time, but that's, that's generally, I said, so much of what I do relationship-wise is just built on like years of um, like, like word of mouth. So, um, I don't have to have known you
0: for 20 years to, to help you start your venture, but it helps. Understood. Yeah. And so, And, and in the property types that you focus on, mm-hmm. how have you developed that thesis over time? Why'd you end up there? Why'd we end up there? So, um...
1: The housing stuff, um... Started as sort of just like, like, that's what ERI had bought into, so we kind of, we knew it best. Um, you know, as, as time goes by, um... I, I, I just, found personally that, um... You know, the, the supply demand, this is, this is where, like, not being a finance person, or, or is probably like a little helpful. I try to boil it down to pretty basic principles. You know, um, the the imbalance of housing supply in this country is so out of whack that um, that. And I understand like multis kind of got run up because of because of like the borrowing, but long but your long-term supply demand um, is just really positive. So I mean, I like I don't. I got like if I buy an apartment building, you know. Is it possible? I don't hit my pro forma rents? Possible, you know. But is there is there is there ever going to be like forty percent lease? Highly unlikely. Whereas other asset classes, I just I never was able to get comfortable with some of the other a- asset classes and underwriting, um, like larger like larger tenant role risk. As a matter of fact, like I, I could never like I, I I've never really personally invested in offices because I, I literally can't. I I just can't figure it out. I just like because people say they'll say, "Well, what's the cash flow?" and they'll show you. It's like, well, I agree with you. It's it, terrible. <laughs> yeah, because it's like I would never. Oh yeah, no, I, I know. I know. I know you guys. Do, I, I know you guys do it. You know, and um, but I just could never figure it out because like I, I just I can never get comfortable with, um, well, what's my real free cash flow if I'm if I'm having to sort of amortize, like tenant like lease up and and and, and it's, so for us it was just we knew multi we knew how it worked, we knew what the drivers were, and that, like, that's where we're, and, and, and then we branch too, so we do a fair amount of an industrial, um, and again, I don't do a lot of industrial, because I still can't, like I said, I can't, Like guess this isn't really, intuitively, until I, I get where the value's at, I also, um, this is not my expertise, but you know, the thing with industrial is that, like I think a lot of people here probably are doing industrial stuff now, but it's like, you know, we saw an opportunity, because we do everything, so it's kind of like, well we saw an opportunity, with a with a guy that we knew from a prior life, it looked interesting. It's a couple million bucks, so we like we don't hit under a row. We like the returns. We invested in, it. and really like we as far as like different asset types, we just build it up like one at a time. So, to my comment on, on office, you know, if I had been able to figure it out once on a small deal, and and expanded my knowledge at like it could be, ten years on, I'm doing lots of office. But like we just try to invest in things that we can understand, that we know. Start incrementally, figure it out, and kind of, kind of go.
0: So even though you're running, you know, your funds are, let's say, a few hundred million dollars yep. at this point, you're still comfortable writing experimental size checks to sponsors just to see how it goes, and you know.
1: Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, my appetite, my personal appetite for it, has gotten, you know, less as I get older, it's because it's like I don't have the bandwidth. So I have to do other things, but, for, but I, I always encourage the, the people in, in. In my group, to 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 do that kind of stuff, you know, I to do a million bucks. I mean, I'm I'm actually, you know, looking at a deal now where it's really a million dollar investment, um, with and it's, and it comes with potentially pipeline. It's also possible like that million dollars is all we ever invest, and that's fine. It's like not super efficient. I wouldn't want to invest like the whole fund a million dollars at a time, but you know, we've had some very positive outcomes. Starting, you know, the, probably the you know, you know I, I, I work with a group, you know, probably started working with them in you know 2012, 13, maybe 13. first deal I did was a couple million bucks, and then we kind of then helped seed their platform one of them and then we so you know like a couple million dollar investment has turned into a fairly evergreen. Opportunity as far as investing capital
0: and you're buying also not not always just into the into the LP position, right? You're you're also buying into the GP or the opco.
1: We'll buy into GP we will buy an opco. Yeah And also we're buying straight real estate, too So but um, no, we, we will invest in partners and sponsors
0: and when you buy into the GP or the opco Side of the business yeah. of your sponsor Are you bringing all of the LP capital or are you within the fund or are you bringing outside LPs into that? Um, and the fund itself is just the is just making the GP opco investment.
1: We invest is through our funds. We don't we don't we don't bring outside investors in. But um as far as like when we invest in an opco, it depends on the size of it. I mean we don't have the capacity to be like the sole LP to some high high-scale buyers. But if it's somebody who has a pretty niche small business plan, then like we're doing something now with a group that's it's not I mean, we're not, we're not in the opco, but um, as an example it'd be like like smaller, like industrial deals. So you know, it might be like a couple million dollar equity check. Um, we can do, we can do that serially. But if if somebody has like every equity check is, like twenty million bucks, like we don't have capacity. So we just, we're just trying to size so to the to our capacity. But usually, we're really buying in with the opco is we're buying into the operating piece of it, but we're also
0: buying into their, into their existing real estate holdings. But that also means that you've conveyed to your investors that if you are investing in the GP position, when you're the LP, you maintain control. If you're investing in the GP side, then you assume that you are going to also give up control as the GP, and that, you know, your investors are comfortable with that.
1: Yeah, so, I, the, so when you're investing in the GP, um, yeah, there's like, this, there's like this risk that you're kind of like, you're neither one or the other, because you're, you, you're not really the operator. And so you, you don't really have, like, the operational control. And you're not you're not the majority LP, so you don't have all that control. We try to build it. So the, w- the way, the couple ways we sort of insulate ourselves in those cases. One is, because we're investing in the GP, there's smaller checks. So we really would look at it as, like, well, diversification is a big protector against, you know, this issue. So, yeah, it could be one case where something goes on and, like, there's an outcome that we didn't control. But, you know, if you've done it Across twenty deals, it happens once. It's like fine,
0: you know. So that's why I think. Um, uh, do you have any like parachute that you can pull in those, like a buy sell or anything, or you know, if there's some LP who has majority control and they just don't want to sell it for twenty years, then you know, too bad. I mean, the, typically, a lot of times what we'll do there
1: is like we don't have any positive rights as, as it as it relates to the to the LP, but to the extent that the operating sponsor has positive rights, then we will basically. Mimic those rights, so for example um, if there's a buy sell say, and then say the l p triggers it, and then the g p has certain the next steps, so a lot of times what we 'll try to do is is um make sure that like if we if we don 't agree on those next steps with our operating partner, then we can trigger our we have our own rights to sort of tax it now it gets clunky because you 're talking about layers of you know but that's but that's why. You are know, the, the reason to invest in the GP is to get a piece of the promote, so you're trying to basically, um, you know, get higher returns for, like, generally the same amount of, like, real estate risk, but you, are, you do take a little bit of, like, structural risk, and, you know, as long as we feel like we have enough controls, then if, if we make the investments, because we feel like whatever we're giving up, the risk associated with giving up control is more than offset by the reward of taking a chunk of the GP.
0: And not having to do any work. And not having to do any work, yes. It's much more efficient for us. You know? Yeah, but no, I agree. That's a, yeah. obviously the best position, a, yeah. to do so, zero work and yeah. take um, a 5x, yeah. So,
1: well, you know, it's kind of like. Um, it's kind of like venture capital. It wouldn't, yeah, I mean, the, the, the deal wouldn't exist but before yeah. you know, us being there, so. You know. um, But, you know, I, I will You're say this rooting though. Rooting for them from the sidelines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that market's gotten more efficient too. I mean, I mean, I'll tell you that what we used to be able to get for sh- shares of the promote is not, you know, today is not what it was. You know,
0: I'm sorry for your loss.
1: Yeah, <laughs> although that, that that could also be changing changing here in the near term. So we'll see. But um, but that's how we. I mean, that's that, that's how we approach. And again, the, the 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 real like the the real thing with us, and I think most people like us is that. Um, we're trying to maintain enough flexibility to to um, actually help these sponsors like solve their problems. So you might people they might think it's expensive or whatever, but you know we are actually kind of saying like this is not like bespoke investing, but it's like the real way I look at it is like I checked out your business, I like what you're doing. You know, what do you what are you trying to solve for? Like what are the, what are your
0: And what is that? Is that is that co invest capital or is that you know, sometimes it's co invest capital.
1: Uh, um sometimes it's like they they need to recap out uh, an old partner. Um sometimes it's that you know they need um some infrastructure help because they're kinda getting going themselves. Um it's kinda depends. You know, um it's um you know we have we have a very active asset management team and you know and we do we do invest with a lot of um like smaller sponsors because we're trying to do opportunistic returns so you know sometimes i you know s- some sponsors are fantastic they're like set it and forget it and you know and some sponsors you know our asset management team almost becomes like their their back office sure. you know so um and it's always it's always with a goal towards you know we try to align interest on the front side it's all with the goal towards you know cooperation but at the same time if if um, there are problems like we, our asset managers are pretty close to these deals so when there's problems you know you could step in we step in if we have to yeah Got it.
0: okay um, all right well we only have a few minutes left um, so let's talk about you know how the world looks to you uh, you know, a year ago versus how the world looks to you right now, and, and you know what you guys are, uh, what you're chasing, what you're not chasing, um, and uh, and how you're thinking about it. So, um, say the hurricane thing. Oh yeah. So yeah.
1: Backstage, I, I kind of gave this analogy to like, you know, the way I, I I think about this interest rate stuff, and it's like, it's hard to do with a microphone in my hand, but if you think about those maps when when a hurricane is forming, and like, there's like this dispersion. And depending on, you know, if if it turns this way, then it just sort of fizzles out and it's like a rainstorm and maybe some trees fall down. But Then if it turns this way, it's like levels an entire city. And it's like, this is kind of what, like, what's going on with rates right now feels like to me. So I'm not a prognosticator, um, but... But it's heading right for us. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) It feels like it's more category five, you know? And when I say five I mean like five, five out percent of, interest rate four but but then um, then a category four or three, but at the same time um I don't know it's it's like I said it's like we're not market timers, you know um, the thing I'll say about like if rates really jump is not so much that like whether they'll be distressed or not, I just think it's going to be hard just to even get deals done I, like I, 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 it's like when there's like just that much volatility in rates, you know, and, and they jump and you have, you have sellers whose expectations are anchored to what was happening like 12 months ago. I mean, what, what, and this is kind of what happened in the Great Recession, at least in my experience, was that there was this expectation that, oh, goody, goody, like it's like the, it's like the like deals are just gonna start flying my way. And that's not what happens. <laughs> what happens is that um, everybody hunkers down you know, if you have a problem with your lender, you figure out how to sort of like stop the bleeding. But, um, you know, extend and pretend was a real thing the last time around, but I think it's just like a real thing always, that the, the, the deals that will fall out are the ones that we're probably going to do poorly anyway. You know, and then how you, how you assess distress is, is hard. So, I don't know, it's like I... That's my biggest thing with rates is just that... Um, are, are you approaching this market any differently than you always do? So it depends. Um, you know, on the, on the affordable housing stuff, um, not so much. I mean, because it's, it's, most of those deals are baked, the, the debt's in place, it's all pretty, and, and, and the rents are, are all, it's like it's very structured. Um, but on, on just trade acquisitions, you know, so the, the, our biggest challenge now is that, um, you know, we see deals, they, they 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 kind of pencil. Actually, in some ways, they pencil better than deals a year ago, on an unlevered basis. But um, you can't get the leverage, and and we're not like leverage junkies. We try to use an appropriate amount of leverage. But really, what's happening is that um, because the leverage has come down so much, um, you know, deals that you know would have required like a seven million dollar equity check a year ago are now requiring like a twelve million dollar equity check, and that's that's in some ways fine if you, if you, if the, the if the basis is lower and you can write the returns, but the problem is is that you know we we have our own capital limitations too. So in some ways our our and we and we want to stay pretty diversified. So it's it's you know we we're not big fans of writing like 18 million dollar equity checks on like one off deals. And the problem is is like these days like if you have like a 40 million dollar deal, 18 million bucks is kind of like the check you have to write. And it's just really it's made it really hard to. To to find deals, we have to go, like kind of go down to like a small like, smaller deals, or just be patient, or try to partner with other groups. But this is like the this is a problem that's now becoming a bit, um, you know, bit more widespread. We're we're we're, st- we're seeing this like rinse and repeat situation where we'll see a deal from a sponsor, and they just have to raise way more equity than they ever expected, and they have no way to do it. And we can't, you know, we can't fill the gap for them. Um, we could do it once, maybe, but we can't. Just, we just can't. We just, you know, we have to do like twice as big a, a fund to be able to have the same amount of diversification.
0: And are those times when you can come in on the sponsor side and say, "Listen, we'll we'll help you on the LP side, but we're going to take a piece of the GP for helping you raise the additional capital," or is that not really the the business? I
1: I so, um, I'm also very like keen on like incentives and making sure like we're aligned with our sponsors and. I do I do think sometimes um, there's only cases where it's like well we can figure this out you know through if we do x y and z but then like the solution from my point of view becomes like so onerous on the sponsor that it's almost like well you really don't want to put your sponsor um, on the back on the on their heels out of the gate I mean that's I mean so I think some I mean some investors might might, might like that like to have like that, that that hammer over their their sponsors, but you know my view on sponsors is like they're really the ones who are going to make the thing successful. So um, you can pare down their economics because they you they, they you have to to make this deal pencil. But to be honest, a lot of times you don't really get the outcome you
0: want, or they're back trying to renegotiate with you. Yeah, like, yeah fair in, enough. In anyway. Well, look, the last question that I will leave you with then is yeah. that you know over the next six to twelve months you you are you excited for the next six to 12 months you think it's going to be extremely boring or are you just like next six to 12 months is like the last six to 12 months um
1: <laughs> if i was it's it's i would say that it's probably i would err on the side of saying it's probably going to be boring as far as like acquisitions as far as like asset management i don't know we'll see. <laughs> it could be terrifying but but um as far as acquisitions i, I just think it's um like i said it's it seems like the bid ask is, is like so wide, um, and until the bid ask sort of like comes comes in, I just think it kind of like grinds markets to a halt. So I don't know. My expectation is like the next six twelve months will be boring, unless something you like, heard it here first. Yeah, unless something like catastrophic. You know, unless like I mean, there's a lot going. By the way, um, we didn't talk about you like Ukraine, which is like a whole thing that I feel like we haven't
0: talked about Ukraine. That's
1: yeah. True. Because but it's like it's like a whole thing that like people kind of are almost have forgotten about it even though it's like it's like wilder than ever so I don't know like bad things can happen
0: Bad things can happen Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bill Andrews Thank you. <laughs>